All right, well, so glad you guys are here tonight, and uh, we're going to be talking about some good things tonight. We are looking together at the biblical worldview, and uh, we've kind of been taking this from a few different angles, and tonight we're going to be looking in particular at, uh, at naturalism. And before we get to that, though, I'd like to begin in Scripture. And so if you have your Bible with you, open to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. What we're going to read is about Paul encountering some people who had a very different worldview than himself. And as we read through this text, I want us to just consider how did Paul respond to these situations? How did Paul address these people who were viewing the world so very differently than himself? If we remember those basic worldview questions, um, even the question of how did we get here, the people that Paul is encountering here, is going, uh, they answered those questions very different than Paul. Okay, so we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31, uh, Paul encountering uh, a different worldview. Okay, so let's look at it. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's changing their worldview there, right? And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For... In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So, did Paul understand something of the worldview of these men that he had encountered? Now, the men of the Areopagus in Athens were very learned people, of course, right? And they had all the up-to-date information on, on everything religious. And as Paul walks through the Areopagus there in Athens, he notices something about them, of course, which he already knew. He says, I perceive that in every way you are a very religious people. For look at all your gods on display and how you worship them. And he said, and as I was walking by and I saw all your gods that you worship, I noticed that there was one that had a particular inscription underneath it. And that inscription read, to the unknown God. Because we worship all these gods, but what if we left one out? That would be terrible. So let's make an altar to the one that we forgot about just in case. 
And so Paul looks at this and he, he says, wow, I mean, I see that you're a very religious people, but there is an unknown God, actually. And so from that standpoint, Paul begins to share the gospel with them. So he takes them from where they are. You're a very religious people, but your worldview is incorrect. You have all these gods that you're worshiping, but there's one that you realize you don't know. So I'm going to tell you about that God that you don't know. Let me tell you something about how we all got here, how we live and move and breathe and have our very being. It all comes from the one true God. All mankind came from the one true God. And then he continues and he says, and by the way, there's a day coming when everyone will have to give an account before this one true creator God. And he has testified to this fact by, by raising a man from the dead, the very man who will come to bring about justice and judgment one day, the man Jesus Christ. And of course, they heard about this resurrection of the dead and many of them left, but not all of them, and some of them believed. Okay? A very interesting story, right? So he started where they were and uh, understood their, their worldview and said, but you have this particular view of the world. Uh, it's not quite right. We're going to adjust your worldview because the lenses you're looking through at the world um, is not the way it really is. There is a true way, but that's not the right way. Okay, so if we were to identify... So we have these major worldview categories, right? It's what we've been talking about. We have supernatural worldviews and we have philosophical worldviews. Which of the two worldview categories would the men of Athens fit into? Supernatural worldview or philosophical worldview? I got mixed responses, I think. Somebody say it louder. Be confident. Okay, you say philosophical. Okay. Is that the majority opinion? Okay, it's supernatural. Reason being is because they were worshiping what? Gods. A recognition that the supernatural world exists, right? In particular, let's look at the supernatural worldview categories. Some of these are theism, deism, polytheism, pantheism, panentheism, animism, paganism. Okay, which of these would it have fallen into? Because think about it. They had all these altars set up to all the different gods they were worshiping. What do you call that? Polytheism. That's right. They were polytheists. So they were worshiping all these gods, and Paul said, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God. Now, he's not just another God to add to your list of gods. No, no, no. He is the God of gods, the true God. In fact, everything came from him. So he was telling them a story of origins, what you might call a cosmology, how things came to be. And so Paul was setting the record straight for the men of Athens. Okay? Our other worldview category uh, is the philosophical worldviews, and that is things such as uh, naturalism, which we're going to put materialism and humanism in there with it, and then also atheism and agnosticism. Now, in these particular categories, they're philosophical because um, they kind of by nature reject the supernatural world. They're saying things are more natural, which is what naturalism is, right? Things are more natural. The atheist simply says God does not exist. Uh, and the agnostic says, I don't know what I know, but I know that I don't know. And so uh, basically there is a rejection of the supernatural world, generally speaking. So that's why it's a philosophical worldview. It's a way of thinking. I wanted to share with you before we start talking in particular tonight about naturalism. 
uh, I want to share with you why we might pick naturalism first to discuss. Here's some numbers for you that uh, you may or may not be aware of. Major world religions, according to surveys, just the best guesses, and th these are going to be somewhat close to reality, okay? Christianity is still at the top of the list, 31.5%. Now, that includes two general groups. Both Catholics and Protestants are lumped into Christianity, okay? Number two of world religions is going to be Islam, 23.2%. And then what's that next category say? None. The nuns. What's your religion? I don't, I, I don't have a religion, thank you. Okay, next is Hinduism at 15%. Buddhism, 7%. Folk religions, that's what I uh, identified as tribal religions uh, to you last time. And other being... A l there are a lot of other things, right? Okay, other is about 1%, and Judaism about 0.2%. Those, those are your top ones. These are the main categories of world religions. Let's zoom in on the United States in particular and see what we have going on in the U.S. In the U.S., Christianity is at 63%. Now, just remember, this is what people say they are, okay? So Protestants are 42% and Catholics 21% giving us the 63% total of Christianity in the U.S., okay? The nuns are at 19%, a bigger percentage than the world percentage, right? So if you look at the world percentage of the nuns, it's 16.3%, but in the U.S., it's 19% of the nuns, and that percentage is growing rapidly. Agnostics make up 6% of the U.S., now, they say they're agnostics, okay? And they're not like functional agnostics where they are agnostics, they just don't admit it. No, 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 these are the people that just flat out say, I'm an agnostic. Next are atheists, 5%. 5% of the U.S. says, I am an atheist. Mormonism, 2%. Amazing. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all 1%. Okay? That should hopefully generally give you kind of a a bird's eye view of the land, the religious landscape of the U.S. Now, just thinking about Christians, how many of that 63% would we say are genuine, true, born-again, spirit-filled, faithful, Bible-believing, biblical worldview Christians, authentic Christians? Don't give me a number because you'd just be making it up. All of us would. We don't know. I don't know. But one thing we do know is what? It's lower than that. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot lower than that. But now these others, an agnostic admits he's an agnostic. Okay. An atheist admits he's an atheist. Okay. There are more atheists out there functioning in the world than those who actually check the box and say, I'm an atheist. There are a lot of people on this list, in fact, who check the box, I'm a Christian, when in reality, they're a little agnostic, little atheist, little nun, little of this, little of that, but not Christian. It's just, in all the religions, which one are you? I mean, I guess I'm a Christian. I don't know. I celebrate Christmas. 
you know, I don't know. I guess if I had to pick one, that's what I am. But what am I really? You're really one of the nuns. You don't know what you are. You're nothing. I don't have a religion, really. My religion is kind of just whatever I think, which is ultimately the nun. You're part of the nuns. I want to show you a map, and you can't read the legend of the map, which is fine. That I don't want you to. But you can see very clearly a particular patterns, groupings, right? So in the U.S., um, there's a lot of blue, some orange, a little chunk of gray there, and then a big blob of red for the most part. Where is that blob of red located? In the south, east. Yes. So if you were unaware, if you were born and raised in Sparta um, or in Tennessee generally, you have a higher chance of being raised in a Christian culture than anywhere outside of that red zone. Because most people, when they get this survey in these, in these areas, are going to check the box, Christian. Outside of this area is not the case. I just, we all need to be made aware of this reality. If this has been your home for a very long time, you need to know what's happening outside of this small region of the world. The blue is Catholic, by the way. A lot of that going on. The red is not even Christian. <laughs> Guess what it is? Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The light red and dark red are the same thing. It's just the dark red means there's a lot more of them. So, not only Christian, in particular, Baptist. In particular, SBC. That's probably what you knew. It's probably what you know, generally speaking, because it's everywhere here. It's everywhere around here. It wasn't the case for me. Michigan's blue, right? Now, it doesn't mean that there were none there, but it was not the majority. Okay? So, again, I'm just showing you this picture because, yes, it is true that a lot of people here check the box Christian. But how many people who check that box Christian are functionally something else? Many of them. Many of them. So we're looking in particular at this category that says nuns. Okay, so uh, what does nun mean? Because where is naturalism as a worldview on this list? It's not there. Because naturalism falls into what? The nuns. I don't have a religion. I'm a naturalist. Okay? I'm a humanist. I'm a materialist. I don't have a religion. I have a way of thinking. This is why we call it a philosophy rather than a religion or a supernatural worldview. So we're looking at naturalism tonight. Okay? Here we go. Naturalism. Why are we looking at naturalism? Naturalism um, is on the rise here in the U.S. and is currently making up about 20% 20% of the U.S. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And it's only growing. 
So we need primarily to understand what these people are thinking. What is their worldview? Did Paul have an understanding of the worldview that he entered, to, he entered into and he could have conversation with them? He even read some of their works because he knew what their own poets said, not only knew it, not only was acquainted with it, could quote it to them. And so it is only appropriate that we prepare ourselves for conversations with these people that are viewing the world so differently than us so that we can get into their mind and help them understand how their worldview is different than the correct view of the world. Okay? So we're looking at naturalism. Naturalism says generally, the physical universe is all there is and all there ever will be. Does anybody know who's famous for saying that, at least somewhat close to that? Carl Sagan. That's right. Yeah, he had a TV show that aired for quite some time, and uh, I, I haven't watched it, but evidently it was kind of the tagline for this, uh, for this TV show. And think about this with me for a second. The physical universe is all there is and all there ever will be. That's all we have. Just this. This is it. There is nothing else. There is nothing of great significance. Significance is not even a thing. There is nothing else beyond what we can see, touch, hear, right? That's it. So how would a naturalist answer the four worldview questions? What are the four worldview questions? The four worldview questions that we're using. How did we get here? Very basic. What is the problem? What is the solution? And what happens to us when we die? How does a naturalist answer these questions? Okay, let's look at them. We can put all of them up there because they're very simple. How did we get here? These have to be generalizations, so we're going to explain all these. How did we get here? The Big Bang. What is the problem? Nothing really, but I guess if we had to say it's probably oppression. What is the solution Certainly science, which takes us to freedom, so we want that. And what happens when we die? Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Your body decomposes when you die, and that's the end. 20% say they are naturalists, have a naturalistic view of the world. This is all that there is. Sad, right? Hopefully, knowing this, your affections are already being stirred for those people who have no hope. No hope. There is no hope here, is there? Okay, so let's uh, just look at some of these. So the first question, uh, how did we get here? The Big Bang. Now, most of you are very familiar with the Big Bang, right? Uh, you get the idea. And by the way, what, what's the word that comes after that? Theory, that gets left off sometimes. The, the Big Bang fact is more, more like what it is, right? But it is a theory. It is a theory of how the universe came into existence. And generally, it says something like this, that 13.7 billion years ago, there was an infinitely condensed point called a singularity. And this singularity, being infinitely dense, being infinitely heavy because it was containing all the weight of all things of the entire universe, 
was compacted to only a few millimeters wide. Everything was compacted into an infinitely dense singularity, only a few millimeters wide. And one day, you know what happened to this thing? It blew up. It blew up. And because it came from a central point and it blew up, well, you know when something explodes, it expands from every side. And so naturally, the universe is ever expanding outward this way because of that big explosion. So if you could reverse time and shrink everything back down, it would all go back to that singularity. But of course, we can't do that. Space and time did not exist before the Big Bang. Did you know that? Space and time did not exist before the Big Bang, which is why it is foolish, only foolishness to ask, how did that point of singularity get there? Well, time didn't even exist, so that question is meaningless. Oh, well, that solves it. No, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know time didn't exist. If that's the case, then I have no further questions. I'm simply going to take that on what? Ultimately, faith. Because you can't prove it. So it has to be faith. Unfortunately for a naturalist, they would not like you to say that. That their beliefs are actually faith. But they are. So a naturalist is going to believe that space and time did not exist before the Big Bang, but when the Big Bang happened, space and time came into existence. It is truly a creation. Uh, we believe in a creation out of nothing. Ex nihilo is commonly how we say it throughout Christian history. But the universe came into existence out of nothing. But we know how the nothing got there, right? And we know what happened after the nothing. We know how the universe came into existence out of nothing. They don't. It simply was. Or wasn't, evidently. It wasn't and then it was because it wasn't. But once it was, it was. But before it was, it wasn't. See? So we don't need to have an answer of how it got there. I watched several videos of some uh, uh, some physicists talking about um, the Big Bang because I was looking for an answer to this question, of course, because that's the big question, isn't it? How, well, how did it get there? And that, I'm very serious, that is the answer that's given. Space and time did not exist yet, so that answer, the answer to that question is meaningless because the question itself is broken. It's the wrong question to ask. You can't ask that question because space and time didn't exist yet. That's the answer. That's the best I got. Okay, so all things can be explained naturally because the natural physical universe material is all that there is. So therefore, every problem or everything, every, everything is answered naturally. Naturally. All things can be explained naturally. So we go to then what's the problem? Well, first of all, a naturalist would say that there is no objective right and wrong. You already know this. You've experienced it in the world. There is no objective right and wrong. Because if we believe in morality that you shouldn't do that, don't do that, that's not right. Well, who said? Who said it's not right? The universe? 
I don't believe in that. I don't believe there is a right and a wrong. I believe that we should do what we think is right, but what you think is right is probably a little different than what I think is right. Ultimately, because there's no objective right and wrong, and everything can be explained naturally, naturally, everyone wants to survive. So survival is most important. Survival. Whatever it takes for humanity to survive is what must be most right. Because humanity is most evolved. We are the highest being. And so whatever it takes for humanity to survive, along with the planet, and then of course with the animals, everything is good. But we need to make sure that everything survives. Survival is most important. But also, we can't deny that personal pleasure is important too, because, you know, when we're answering this question, I'm thinking about what I want. So personal pleasure and survival is the point of existence. And in that, there's no real problem unless I am trying to pursue my own personal pleasure or survival, and you won't let me do it. You're oppressing me. And there are systems that oppress me. Because I'm just trying to survive here. I'm just trying to be who I am. I'm just trying to make it through this world and survive and get as much pleasure out of it as I can because when I die, everything's over. So I'm going to get as much pleasure out of it now as I can. So if you get in my way, you're the problem. Does that make sense, how it works? Okay, so although there's no real problem, is that anything that is a problem is due to man's ignorance of scientific truth, right? We just, you, we don't know enough yet, you know? But when we figure something out chemically or with, with mentally, how things work, it's, well, we know that now, so we would never do that. We would never make that decision now. We would never raise our kids that way now because now we're more highly evolved and now we understand things better according to science. Science has told us this, therefore we ought to modify our behavior to do what science says. Because science rules, because science tells us the real real, which is nature. How does nature operate? Science tells us that, so then science is our master. Whatever science says tells us about the natural world and all we want is to understand the natural world so that we can survive and find pleasure in it. That's a naturalist. Okay? If you experience pain, that's a problem. Someone's oppressed you or something hasn't worked quite right and you need to seek out science to help you fix that pain. That's how our world works, right? You got a pain? Science has come up with something for that. Here, this will take your pain away. Here's what a, uh, a secular humanist is a naturalist, okay? High view of man, secular humanist, is a naturalist. So I looked up the Humanist uh, Society of Tennessee, and I found this. Most non-religious people wouldn't have a problem with religion if it was something benign and privately practiced, instead of something weaponized to oppress people, justify harmful beliefs and rituals, proselytize, convert, infiltrate government, you know, and all these kind of horrible things. Okay, so a naturalist would say something like this. 
is that, for example, the church with its rules and with its God and with its scriptures is trying nothing but to put you in a box and oppress you to keep you from pleasure. So we should break out of that box and we should make sure that no one else is oppressed by that group, by those people. So it's not as though naturalists are oh, just okay with us. No, 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 we're actually the problem. We're the oppressors. We're hurting people. Now, you've heard that language, haven't you? Christianity hurts people. The Bible hurts people. If you haven't heard that language yet, listen up for it. You're going to hear it. The Bible is hurting people, and it hurts me that you believe in it. I had a family member tell me that. It's hurting people, and you're hurting me by believing what that says. Naturalists. So, if this is the case, then what's the solution to the problem? The solution to the problem is scientific exploration. If we just seek out science, then science is going to reveal more and more things about how nature works, about how human beings work. And if we can figure out exactly how all this stuff works, then we can do away with pain, we can do away with all this oppression on people, we can do away with suffering, and everything would be great because seeking out pleasure and survival is the greatest good. And so if science is the thing that gets us there, where do all our efforts need to go? Scientific exploration. Science is the key. To reject anything science has said is to reject the real, real in their perspective, right? And we don't want to do that. Take away pain. Humans and the planet. We've got to protect the humans and the planet. Here's something else from AmericanHumanist.org. Humanist answers are the best we have available to us. Pause. Humanist answers are the best we have available to us. So in other words, there are answers about, because there are problems with the world. We recognize that. And the best answers we have are, are come from humanists because we know the way things really are, which is the natural universe, and that's all that there is. So humanists have a high view of man and a high view of science, and so humanist answers are the best answers that we have available to us and are simply more effective than those from worldviews trapped by their unchanging ancient texts and subject to personal biases inherent to, uh, in divine revelations. So, advancing humanism is a key component to achieving positive transformation in our world. What was just said there? Away with the churches and bring on the naturalists. Advancing humanism is how we're going to transform our world positively. And if we're going to advance humanism, what must be destroyed in its wake? The church. Our beliefs. Our ancient, unchanging text. Well, all that's pretty depressing. What happens when we die? Nothing. There's not even any explanation to that because it's plain, isn't it? If all you are are just chemicals, uh, Carl Sagan, I did watch this part. <laughs> he leans up against a tree. 
He says, me and this tree, we're made out of the same stuff. And he meant it. Me and this tree, we're no different. We're all made of the same stuff. When the tree dies, it dies. When I die, I die. We're no different. What do we do with that? How do we have conversation with people that believe that? There, there is an answer to that. That's not just an unanswered question. What, how do we handle how, that? Naturalism is so far removed from the biblical worldview, wouldn't you agree? But yet it is on the rise in the U.S., which means you're going to encounter more and more people who are saying, I can't believe that you still believe in that ancient, unchanging, harmful, hurtful, oppressive Bible. Do you know what the Bible says and how horrible it is? This is what is being said about Christianity. And it's primarily the younger generation that's being uh, raised up right now. I say primarily because by statistics, by percentage, it, it is. And soon, the majority is going to flip-flop if we're going to live much longer in the world, you need to understand that this is only going to change more and more drastically. You think, you know, inflation has changed things? Just wait until the majority worldview opinion changes in the world that we live in. Everything is going to change. Everything. Everything is going to change because we're no longer viewing the world on, on any kind of the same terms. And we feel that tension, don't we? We feel that tension working right now. Soon it's not going to be tension. Soon it's going to be broken off completely. And that is going to be the world that we're living in. But you know what? Paul lived in that world too, didn't he? Didn't he? The majority opinion was Christianity? No, it was not. So you know what? What this means for us is that we are actually able to come to terms with what this mission field in front of us is and the world that we're living in, but we just need to understand the world that's surrounding us and how it's changing and how it's thinking and how when we become, or when we become familiar with these different things, we realize that most people's worldviews are not consistent. Most people do not have a consistent worldview. Most people are syncretists. It's not, I am an atheist, I am an agnostic, I am a naturalist, secular humanist. No, it's, it's whatever you want, because that's the American attitude, actually. It's whatever I want it to be, whenever I want it to be, and it's all about me. Don't get in my way. That's the American attitude, generally speaking, and we know it's true. Don't get in the way of my freedoms, my freedom to do whatever it is I want, believe whatever I want, do whatever I want, say whatever I want. And it boils down to our worldview. So, how do we interact with a world like that? What are we to do? What is our responsibility? What is on our shoulders? How do we, how do we talk to people like that? The answer is not, well, we just don't. We just continue. We're going to build a compound. And we're going to put big walls up around us. And we're just going to wait until we all... Uh, die, and there's a new generation, they can do whatever they want, but we're just going to live in a compound. You know, is that the answer? You know, have Christian, so-called Christian groups said that though before, that that's the answer? 
Yeah, if you didn't know that, yes, the answer is yes, they have. Let's build a fortress, let's hide in it until we're all dead, and then that's our way with dealing with the world around us. But that's, that's not our call, okay? That's not, that's, not, that's not how we're going to approach the topic. We're going to live in the world that the Lord has sovereignly purposed that we live in. The Lord did not make a mistake in making you exist now, in this time, and in this place. It is perfectly right. So then we must ask, so if God has determined that I be here in this time with this happening in the world, how then should I live in this world? That's our question. Knowing what these people believe, how do I interact with them? First of all, we need to understand what they're thinking. How is what they think different than what we believe? How is what they believe different than reality, truth? And we can begin to have conversation with them and understand why it is they say the things they say, why it is they watch what they watch, why it is they do what they do, and it doesn't make sense to you. Well, it would make sense to you if you could understand the way they were processing the world. Right? Okay, just a couple of uh, passages I want to draw our attention to to make some application here tonight, okay? So the first one is going to be 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. And then the second one is going to be 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. First Corinthians 2.14, I, I mentioned not too long ago, so I'm only going to take just this one verse because we spent some time here uh, recently. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person... What would be the opposite of the natural person, by the way? Uh, yeah, the spiritual person, the believer. So there's the person without the Spirit of God, the person with the Spirit of God, right? The person in darkness, the person in light, the person who is a child of God, the person who is a child of Satan, right? All these categories exist. Even though we're not reading from John, we're reading from Paul. The reason it's the same is because it's the same God writing it. Okay, so the natural person does not accept, does not accept, might accept, does not accept. Well, I don't know if I brush up on my argumentation, you know, take me with you next time. I'll get them to believe. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because these things are spiritually discerned. So, our worldview, our unchanging ancient text that is so harmful to the world, foolishness to the world. You're, so you're telling me that this God of the Bible is a real God. You know, like the story of Noah and the Ark and all that. You, like, you believe those stories to be true. David and, you know, David with the stone. You think all that actually happened? Yes. And Jesus, you, you think he was crucified, real guy, said he was God, well, so you say, and he was raised from the dead. You believe all that? Like, you, that's actual history. You really believe that? Yes, I do. That is foolish that you believe that. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, here's a point I want to make. How is it then that there are people who call themselves Christians but aren't actually Christians? Why don't they find it foolish? Go with me down that road. How then are there people who say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yeah, Jesus, God, Bible, yep, sign me up. Church, yep. I mean, I don't go, but 
yep, sign me up for all that. That's what I am. How is it that they say that? How is it that people come to church but aren't believers but say, yes, you know, church, that's a good thing, yeah, I'm a, you know, that's me, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. I thought that natural people thought it was all foolishness. They do think it's foolishness. They're just lying to themselves and lying to you. They don't really believe it. It's all a joke. It's not, they're not actually in it. And then all of a sudden, when you start getting to deep truths, which we must do, they're going to be very offended. And it's going to sound foolishness. You're going to get there. But you know how to keep a church big? I'll tell you the secret. Never talk about that stuff. So the people who don't have the Spirit of God aren't real believers will never be offended because we don't ever talk about that stuff. We just talk about all the good stuff. And they'll never leave and they'll never be offended and this will be a good place for everybody to come, believer or not believer, natural person, spiritual person, person in the dark, person in the light. One and all, you're all welcome, you're all here and we can all get along and everything's good. That's a great way to do it. The only problem with that is we can't, <laughs> we can't do that. That's not the word of God. And so, but when the word of God is actually brought out to the spiritual person, they get it. To the unspiritual person, they hate it and they think it's foolishness. Okay, so quickly, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. I'll just read it and kind of give some commentary on the way. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, and it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Oh, I mean, underline that. We don't lose heart over this. The world that we live in, that yes, oh, it's so hard to be in this world. So don't give up though. But my family, you don't understand, don't lose heart. One thing we know for sure, don't give up. Don't lose heart over the mercy that God has shown us by giving us this ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Why would it say that? Because you're going to be tempted to. You're going to want to give up. Don't lose heart, but instead do this. Renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice or uh, practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Uh, do, does everybody say that in the world we live in? We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. Is, no, that, that's not how people are responding to today's issues, are they? No, they're going to say... Yeah, with some cunning and with some tampering, uh, we can change this to make sense to all of us. So let's do that. But no, we refuse. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And we, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the people who can't see it, the people who think it's foolishness, the people that hate it, that would so dishearten us, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as, ser as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
those are such encouraging words to us when we think about living in, in the world. This was written 2,000 years ago. So when Christians say, oh, the world's not what it used to be, actually, it's exactly what it used to be. It's exactly what it used to be. People dishonoring the name of God, the name of their creator, not believing in him. That, that's been happening for a very, very long time. And, and so being here where we are, being in the southeast in 2022, knowing that the natural that naturalism as a worldview is taking over, more and more people that we encounter are going to be kind of inundated with these thoughts. If you're watching the news or TV, t- new TV shows, you're going to notice even those, the culture of the TV shows and movies that are being created have a different worldview. Have you noticed this? Everything is having a different worldview. Why? Well, the people making those things now are of a different generation and view the world differently. And so all this stuff isn't making sense to us anymore and it's rubbing us the wrong way. We're not getting it. It's like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. Right. We're not comfortable with that because it's a totally skewed view of what is real, the true view of the world. But in all of this, how are we to handle ourselves? Do we lose heart over it? No. By the mercy of God, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is calling the world to be reconciled to God in the midst of whatever is going on. We call the world to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so um, that's, that's naturalism in a nutshell. I don't know if it was a very good nutshell, but it's, it's you know, that's the best I got. So that's, that's naturalism for us. And uh, we're going to be, that, by the way, materialism, you, you get the idea. Material, the material world, materialism. Humanism just has an elevated view of humanity, but it's all naturalistic in its understanding, the nuns. Okay, what's your religion? I don't have one. Okay, so we're going to look at um, atheism and we're going to look at agnosticism because agnosticism is big too. Uh, we're going to look at agnosticism next week and I think atheism as well. And then we'll have one more week, and uh, we're going to kind of look at some of the other, because you remember all these big religions, how many, how many people actually belong to those in the United States? Not very many. It's more so that the philosophical worldviews are taking, taking over, right? That, that's the whole point. And so we're kind of looking at these together. So I hope this is helpful. And uh, reflect on those texts and think about what Paul was doing in the Areopagus and how we ought to handle ourselves in this world, okay? Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And, and uh, as we've ev- evaluated and, and at least had an overview of the way that some people are, are viewing the world around us, it's, it's first of all disturbing to us. It's heart-wrenching to us. It's, it's difficult, I, I think, for us to comprehend even being in that mindset of a total rejection of all things supernatural, spiritual, that when we die, we just, our body decomposes and that's all that there is. We cease to be. Uh, that there's no point, there's no morality, there's no, none of this is true. There's no objective right and wrong. That how do we get to that place? It's hard for us to comprehend. We don't want to be in that place, but at the same time, we want to share the gospel with, with people who are so trapped in this mentality. And uh, it's only growing. And so we pray for these people who are viewing the world so incorrectly. And I pray for all of us that as we encounter the world, as we go to our dentist, as we go to work, as we interact with family members or whoever it may be that has a naturalistic view of the world, 
that we can not lose heart, but that we can continue to uh, call them to be reconciled uh, to you, that we would always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in us and that we would do it with gentleness and that we would do it with respect. That's what you would have us do. So I pray that this time is preparing us. I pray that you are using this to your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name together. Amen. All right, thank you guys so much for being here tonight, and uh, we'll see you on Sunday morning.